0: Welcome to the future. You're listening to the Consensus Network. Consensus Network. Consensus Network. With Buck Joffrey. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I want to start out today by reminding you of a couple things. First of all, WealthFormula.com is a website that houses this podcast, and there is a ton of Great resources on there that you really ought to consider uh, checking out, uh, including my free book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which was an Amazon bestseller. And it can be yours simply by texting 44222 and typing Wealth Formula. But also, obviously, you can go to the website, wealthformula.com. You can also sign up for Investor Club uh, at wealthformula.com. What is Investor Club? Well, we do a lot of financial education on this show. We talk about investments, et cetera, but we don't do any specific sort of, you know, we don't we don't go out there and solicit for investments and things like that. Um, if you want to actually put some of these things to use and you are an accredited investor and you want to get off the sidelines, put lazy money to work, that's where the action happens. That's where the magic happens. It's in Investor Club. Go to wealthformula.com. And simply click and uh, the Investor Club tab and join us and uh, and and get off the sidelines. That's the bottom line. Now let's talk a little bit about this week. You know, up to um, you know, up to ten percent for me of my liquid assets are in very risky stuff. Um, specifically for me, I have sort of you know a lot of that ten percent tied up in uh, what are known as digital assets or cryptocurrency and uh, other startups as well. Now, a lot of people think I'm being irresponsible, right? Particularly because I have this captive audience with whom I have influence, that when they hear me, uh, that I am interested in this stuff, that I am involved with this stuff, that it may cause them to do the same. Now, if I was just shooting at the hip, and telling you to put all your money into this stuff, I would understand. That's not good advice. But even highly volatile investments, otherwise known sometimes to some people as gambling, may have their role in your portfolio. They may not, but they may. And to be clear, as is uh, as you probably know, every year, you know, most of my investments, uh the money I make goes directly into real estate. about eighty percent is allocated into real estate, eighty percent of my investable stuff every year, okay? And specifically, eighty percent of that money goes into the opportunities that you see in what we called Investor Club, what we just talked about before. Now, there are many wealth advisors out there who would tell you that it is nuts to have too much money in real estate, right? I mean, that you should really have a substantial portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. I mean, that's really, that's the safe stuff, right? That's not alternative, you know, purple hair, nose ring kind of investing like real estate. Really? Listen, ain't going to happen. I'm not going to buy for it. You know, one of the great things about being financially literate and uh, and kind of, you know, knowing the reality of everything uh, is that you get to take an objective look at what's out there and you get to make your own decisions uh, about your finances and and make them guilt free. You know what? You don't need someone with a three-month-long accreditation course to tell you what makes sense. I mean, if you are going to take some time and you're a smart person and you're financially literate and, uh, you know, you are the master of your own destiny, then why do you need these people to tell you what to do? Listen, in my case, um, you know, my, my, my perspective is, Is very much skewed too, I guess. In my opinion, residential real estate specifically isn't risky if you know what you're doing or invest with someone who does, right? Like an operator that does. Uh, Why? Because, you know, people have to live somewhere, regardless of what the Dow Jones Industrial Average shows you. Real estate, in my view, uh, in the hands of people who know what they're doing, is quite safe. Uh, You know, My dad uh, was an ambitious immigrant who back in the late 60s and early 70s came to this country as an engineer. Uh, Didn't know anything about real estate, but he kind of figured it out pretty quickly. Quit his, well, he didn't quit. I think he got fired from his job because he got so interested in real estate. He was calling around, making real estate calls all the time. Anyway, uh, his real estate investments over the last 50 years ultimately paid for my upper middle class upbringing and my education through medical school. So from my perspective, this stuff doesn't seem very risky. In fact, the only time my dad got in trouble was when he invested in the stock market. Why? Because he didn't really know what he was doing and things just looked like it was going up and up and boom, the dot com, uh, you know, thing happened and and it was, uh, you know, he was blown to... Uh, Oblivion. And so, you know, if, if he had a significant, um, if anybody who had a significant, um, you know, uh, part of their net w- worth invested in the market back in that era, it would have been a big mess, right? Now, uh, but let's get back to this digital currency thing because, you know, I mean, spe- speaking of risk, I mean, it's not like the dot com is risky and digital uh, d- dot com era stocks were not you know, that they were risky and that digital currencies were not. In fact, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, This stuff, this digital currency, cryptocurrency stuff, it is seriously risky. Buying it is very risky. But you know what? On the other hand, a lot of people have gotten very, very wealthy off this stuff already. And, you know, we're really still in early stages. So who knows what's going to happen? So let me ask you this, you know, to determine whether or not this is even worth considering. Say you invested $20,000 into a variety of cryptocurrency projects um, and you lost it all. Would it kill you? That's the question. Would it kill you? Of course, you don't want to lose twenty. Who wants to lose $20,000? Okay, now, alternatively, say your $20,000 became $2 million. You know, you say, no way, that's not going to happen. Well, it's happened multiple times in this, this space in, in cryptocurrencies. But say it did happen, maybe it's not a high chance, but maybe it, it could happen. Is it worth it for you to at least have a chance of this happening in your lifetime, right? That's really, in my view, how you have to look at these things. I'm not saying invest in cryptocurrency. What I'm telling you is that there is a role for this thing called asymmetric risk for many of you. You know, And that's the kind of analysis you need to do for yourself when considering investments of you know this asymmetric risk profile variety, like you know you lose it, it's not a big deal. You win it, uh, you you know you you have life changing money. Now chances are, if you're a follower of Well Formula podcast, you know you're already doing fine. You know you don't have problems uh, paying the bills. You're not stuck in a cubicle. You make great income. Have all the basic things you need to live a happy life. But what if? you had exposure to something that could put you in an entirely different league of wealth. Would it be worth putting a little capital at risk to make this happen? Well, listen, bottom line is, for me, it is very reasonable to do that. And that's why I invest specifically in cryptocurrency. This is not foolish like People say some people say this is it's crazy. It's, you know, whatever. It's rat poison, etc. This is calculated risk. That's what it is. It's a kind of risk that the wealthy take all the time. I mean, if you're making, you know, tens of millions of dollars, you would hurt you to, you know, put like a half million dollars in something ultra ultra, um, you know, risky and and turn into a billionaire from there. You know, I mean, that's what these people do. That's what the, the Winklevoss twins did, by the way. The Tyler and what's his twin brother's name's the guy who the guys who sued Mark Zuckerberg because they say he stole their idea at Harvard and went on and made, you know, billions of dollars. Well, these guys, that's how they got into Bitcoin in the first place, right? They sued Mark Zuckerberg. They ended up getting a a decent chunk of a um, you know uh, some kind of settlement from from Facebook, and they dumped a bun you know a decent chunk of it into buying Bitcoin when Bitcoin was under you know under a thousand dollars, well under a thousand. I think it was a couple hundred bucks, and they turned you know I think what ended up being like you know a couple million bucks into a billion dollars. That's how they did it. So I'm not making this stuff up. It happens. And so asymmetric risk is something that the wealthy do. And, and it's not just the wealthy. It's the endowments. I mean, look at even recently Yale and Stanford. Uh, some of these really, really well-known endowments have gotten exposure to the space. Now, not a lot. Again, they're taking small, small parts of of these huge endowments and creating exposure for themselves into digital assets. Um, and why would they do that? Because they don't want to miss out. Um, and why should you do that now of all time, right? I mean, listen, um, part of it is that no one's talking about it, right? In the bull market of 2017, everyone and their mother was talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. You couldn't go to your barber, your barber owned Bitcoin, right? And-, and then two years later, now the technology's better, Institutional mar- money is kind of getting in. You've got these institutional infrastructure and on ramps into digital currencies. But individual investors don't seem that really that interested right now. And that's exactly why it's probably the time, if you haven't, to potentially put your toes in this area and digital assets. It's if it's something you might want to do. Now, the more you read about this stuff, the more exciting it will seem to you. So don't get carried away. But again, you know, if it's beer money and then who cares, right? I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. Um, now, to help you understand what's going on in cryptocurrency and whether you should consider getting into the game, uh, I invited Tika Tawari back to the show. Uh, Tika, as you know, is an ex-Wall Street guy, a hedge fund a hedge fund guy, and he was the, you know, one of the youngest VPs in uh, Shearson Lehman history. Very, very smart and accomplished investor who specializes in asymmetric. Now there isn't much more exciting than cryptocurrency, but there are old fashioned ways of creating wealth outside of Wall Street. ...that have been used by the wealthiest families in the world for generations. And that's what my other podcast is all about. It's called Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, if you've made a lot of money in crypto and don't know what to do next, this show might actually answer a lot of those questions too. Again, it's Wealth Formula Podcast with me, Buck Joffrey. Risk. He's also incredibly good at explaining this stuff. So when we come back... Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is no stranger to the show. He's a, he's a guy who grew up in foster care uh, and uh, came over to the U.S. at the age of 16 with just 150 bucks in his pocket and the clothes on his back. And then by the age of 18, becomes the youngest employee at Lehman Brothers. By 20, he becomes the youngest vice president in Sherson lehman history Later in his career, he goes on to launch a successful hedge fund and um, live the Wall Street dream. I mean, he's known on Wall Street as the guy who's made a fortune on what is known as asymmetric risk, which we're going to talk about quite a bit. And for the rest of us, for many of us, that is, uh, he is best known for being the editor of the Palm Beach Confidential Newsletter, which focuses on digital currencies. And uh, I am a subscriber to this, by the way. Tika, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. You get to worry.
1: Thanks, Buck. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, you were on not too long ago, and uh, some people are listening to this, uh, this stuff about cannabis, and they're probably thinking to themselves, "Well, what is, what are, why is this guy talking about cannabis and digital currencies? Like, what is his specialty?" In fact the way I'm thinking about this, there's one main thing that they have in common. They're both in this area um, that you call and we call asymmetric risk, which is really your thing. Discuss what that means. And if you would, how have you applied it, applied it to your own sort of, you know, growth and and, and ultimately uh, to your own wealth?
1: So before I get into asymmetric risk, I want to talk about how I discovered asymmetric risk and how I changed the way that I invest. So when I was in my 20s, I developed a lot of wealth by taking massive risk in the stock options and and commodities market. And uh, I would bet huge positions and then that all came to an end in the late 90s when i was on the wrong side of a series of trades that were triggered by the asian financial crisis which ultimately compelled me to file for bankruptcy and so i had lost about 10 years of wealth creation which was considerable at the time and what i what i learned was that i had to change my approach uh, that i couldn't bet it all every single time. Otherwise, I would never get off this boom and bust merry-go-round. So what I realized was is that I would would build the portfolio of somewhat safer, more income-oriented investments, and then I would focus on these ideas that are called asymmetric risk trades. What's an asymmetric risk trade? An asymmetric risk trade is where you can take a relatively trivial sum of money, and if the idea doesn't work out, it doesn't impact your net, your net worth or your day-to-day lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. But the asymmetric part of it is is that if it does work out, it can absolutely move the needle on your net worth. So an example of that would be something like NEO, which I recommended at around 12 cents, that ended up going up to about $161. So that's something that you could have put $1,000 in and turned it into over a million dollars. That's a classic asymmetric trade. So what I, what I tell my readers is you can't build your whole portfolio around high-risk asymmetric trades. But if you take, let's say, 5 to 10% of your liquid net worth and allocate it to these types of situations, in a uh, and, and one of the things I talk about is using uniform position sizing, Um, What you put yourself in the position to do is absolutely grow your net worth, sometimes 3, 4, 5, 6x, without putting your current lifestyle at risk. And it is a sweet spot of wealth creation that I've created and popularized now for several years that has not only transformed my financial life, but the financial life of many of my readers.
0: So as you know, Tika, um, my group, the Wealth Formula Group in general, I mean, there's a lot of people who are well-to-do. They're, you know, uh, accredited investors. Um, They have, you know, typically probably more money uh, to invest than others. They're, you know, and and I say this because there is a little bit of a difference there when it comes to somebody who's barely getting by a living check to check, check, that there is an opportunity in your portfolio to say, okay, what percentage of this portfolio could I put in that, I mean, listen, if I lose it, no big deal. I mean, I won't be happy about it, but it won't hurt me that much. Um, On the other hand, this could explode. Now, when you look at it from the perspective of somebody who's got a fair amount of money and like who's investing, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe a million dollars a year or something like that, like, what do you think is a reasonable amount of a portfolio like I know, for example, that uh, even universities are getting into this and they're looking at, hey, maybe, you know, one half of 1% or something like that. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, I know you're not in the business of giving financial advice, but I'm just curious kind of what your approach would be in terms of allocation.
1: So again, generally speaking, I would say 5 to 10% of your liquid net worth. So let's say you've got a business that kicks out a million a year that you have to allocate for your investments. $50,000 to 100,000 dollars. Right? right? It, it it definitely nobody likes to lose 50 or 100,000 dollars, but it's not going to have a material impact on your lifestyle. But if you invest $50,000 to 100,000 dollars and these asymmetric bets pay off, you're talking about 5, six, seven, eight, 10, 12 million dollars in returns on what is a relatively tiny investment relative to your net worth, and that is the beauty of this approach.
0: Yeah, and and I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly kind of where I'm at, sort of lingering between five and ten percent. Um, you know, and for me, um, you know, I I kind of put this in there about um, you know, I kind of put this in that area with startups, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have a separate category just for digital currencies, but anything that is super high risk, high reward, and I'm I'm sitting at about five or ten percent now, um so that, goes, oh,
1: that all goes into the same bucket. So I that's just want to right. clear that for everybody. It's not just, right. oh, this is cryptocurrencies 5 to 10% and startups is 5 to 10%. Yeah, that's right. No, they all go into the same bucket as asymmetric risk.
0: Yep. Now, okay. So we kind of got ahead of ourselves. And, you know, you haven't been on the show talking about cryptocurrency in a fair amount of time. We have a lot more new listeners now. So for those who know very little about cryptocurrency, but they're smart, they're sophisticated, say they're a group of, you know, Net worth investors, you're talking to you, they've not heard about this. How do you explain this in the most efficient way possible and uh, what the significance of it is?
1: Okay, so that's a really big question.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I know, but I bet you've answered it a few times.
1: But I'm gonna take a shot at So, listen, as a, as a wealthy investor yeah, myself, right. why would I want to bother with cryptocurrency? I'm already rich why do i want to mess around with this so i'm going to answer it from that perspective right yeah one it's always nice to make more money but but two the bigger reason is is what i want people to understand especially wealthy investors is that it's very rare to invest at the beginning of a brand new asset class very very rare brand, it, brand new asset classes don't just don't come about Digital currency is a brand new asset class that has legs. So why does it have legs? It has legs because we have never had an asset class that is completely non-correlated with the business cycle. It's never existed before. Every asset class in the world is somehow tied to the business cycle. Gold, industrial metals, uh, currencies, stocks, bonds, they're all tied to the business cycle in one way, shape, or form. Things like Bitcoin are not. So why, why does that make it valuable? It makes it valuable because if you are a pension fund, and you are allocating capital across traditional and non-traditional assets, you still have this problem of deep correlation, right? The business cycle falls apart and you're taking hits across the board. So there have been studies that have shown just with a small allocation of Bitcoin, anywhere from 1% to 5% across the portfolio, even though Bitcoin is wildly volatile, because it is not correlated and not tied to the business cycle, it actually reduces your overall volatility and your overall risk in your portfolio and that is incredibly valuable so just from a high level portfolio construction standpoint you will see the world's uh, hedge funds pension funds massive allocators of capital start to move tiny slivers of their money into things like bitcoin and we're talking tiny slivers of an 80 trillion dollar pie right it's right in real terms it's enormous money in relative terms relative to what they have under management it's a small amount but when you're coming off a base where the where the whole market's only worth 300 billion it doesn't take much to move the market so so that's from from the high level that's absolutely why you must have some uh, cryptocurrency and then the, the next level beyond that is that uh, mankind has never had an asset there's never been an asset where a stronger man couldn't take it from a weaker man. So whether it was the caveman knocking one guy over the head for his shells or the government coming in in Venezuela and confiscating money or the Argentinian, uh, Argentinian government saying, Oh, we're having a holiday and taking all your assets from the bank. Something Brazil has done on multiple occasions. Um, You know, uh, the everyday person has not had this ability to hold an asset that, has uh, been beyond the uh, confiscation ability of a government. So something like Bitcoin and digital currency, if you are smart in how you buy it, if you don't talk about it, you buy it quietly and you store it appropriately, it is absolutely impossible, short of somebody putting a, literally putting a gun next to your head, um, uh, for them to take that asset from you. And that is remarkable because even if you've got a million dollars in gold and you somehow manage to hide it, how are you going to travel the world with a million dollars in gold? How are you going to spend a million dollars in gold? You're just going to go to the store and break a piece off with a piece of pliers. You just can't do that. The beauty of digital currency is you can walk around with a thumb drive that big with a billion dollars in it and nobody knows. And let's say, hey, oh, I don't want to keep a, a billion in uh, Bitcoin. I want to do it in a stable coin. Fine, put it in a stable coin. But this idea, this portability of money and this complete ownership of an asset that nobody else has any, uh, uh, any ability to take from you, that is valuable. That is incredibly valuable.
0: So <clears throat> let me ask you a, what may seem like a very basic, simple question, but I think it's worth asking. Why is it so volatile? Why is Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum, for example, why these are the major, uh, the, the two biggest uh, by market cap, why are they so volatile? And, and, you know, to the extent that they are uncorrelated, um, do you see that as a function of the size of the market cap? Or is it something else inherent about digital currencies that makes it this volatile?
1: I think it's both. One, they're relatively small. So, for instance, if you look at Microsoft in its early days, it was a crazy volatile stock. Up 40%, down 40%, down 30% going through bear markets that lasted two years, wrecking billions of dollars in value. You look at the early days of Microsoft from the 80s into the mid-90s. The stock was all over the place. And then as the stock got bigger and more mature, of course, volatility tamped down. So you'll see that. So what I say with volatility is that welcome that volatility. Without it, the opportunity to make enormous amounts of money off a small amount of money won't exist. At some point, Bitcoin and Ethereum will move to this more blue chip status where maybe you make 8% a year or 6% a year or something or mm-hmm. something like that thank goodness we're not there yet the right. other side of it is is that there you know the markets that are built around trading these are completely unregulated they're wild mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't, and, and there's all types of crazy manipulation that goes on in the market. You have some Bitcoin whale. Oh, let's sell a 1,000 coins and scare the market down, and then let's go buy back 2,000 yeah. coins. It's the Wild West. And, and somebody, uh, a skeptic might say, well, why do I want to buy now? Why don't I buy when the market calms down? Because when you buy when the market calms down and uh, it's moved to this very highly regulated, uh, very low volatility asset, it could have 10xed between right. now and then right, uh, right. Uh, so yes there is volatility but but i believe if you position size rationally you will be well rewarded for that volu- uh, for that volatility and that uncertainty
0: so admittedly i was <clears throat> skeptical of cryptocurrency early on and, and you know i finally did get in and my timing was actually really good it was a uh, fall early fall 2017 Right before a massive bull run, and that of course was followed by what has been called crypto winter. So the question is: Is winter over? Because it sure seems like it's an awful long thawing period. I mean, we we seem like to have gotten there, but there's a stall. Is is it over, or do you still see some uh, some you know rocky shores ahead before there's a a, a you know big move? Potentially to all time highs?
1: Well, no, crypto winter was over in, in April. And I put out a report talking about that and I pinpointed when that happened. It happened when Bitcoin broke its downtrend line. Mm. So if you go back and if you look at each of the so called crypto winters or horrible bear markets that have been in the space, Bitcoin will always lead the market first, always. And then the altcoins play catch up, right? So it feels worse than it is right now because the altcoins got crushed and many of them have stayed crushed. They haven't come back. And people, it's probably the, the most popular question I get. Okay, Bitcoin's up and it's you know been up as much as 400% this year, but why aren't the altcoins moving? And my answer is because it's not yet time. If you look back at the data, generally there is at least a six-month time lag between the time Bitcoin breaks its downtrend line and the time that the altcoins move higher, so that that next stage will be entering to in about October, and you'll see a percolation in the uh, in the altcoins, and they'll they'll start catch, playing catch up.
0: Does that also correlate, Dika, with uh, Bitcoin, like an all-time high for Bitcoin? Though I mean, I mean, obviously Bitcoin has recovered substantially. We're like you know three four hundred percent up from uh, you know where we were um, when Bitcoin was at. Uh, you know, at 3000 Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the question I have is, and I, and I have not looked at this history closely, mm-hmm. even though there's this recovery, do you, to, do you have to start approaching all-time highs for those alts to really make their move? Is that no. what you've seen historically? No, no yeah?
1: you don't. If I look back at when the alts started playing catch-up in 20, 2016, Bitcoin was starting to move higher and then going into 2017, and then the alts really didn't start kicking in until around May. And, the, and, and that's when they started moving. And eventually the alts out, outpaced the type of action that was going on with Bitcoin. So if we look back at how the altcoins move, generally what happens is, is you have a new series of buyers that come into the market and they're all centered around Bitcoin. And that's happening right now. Kelly Loffler just announced from Bact that they're going to have physically backed futures have been approved September 23rd. I believe is the date mm-hmm. that they're actually going to start trading. So this brings in a whole new group of traders, a whole new group of investors, and then this, so they start getting their feet with Bitcoin, and all of a sudden, they 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 might not even know anything about altcoins, Buck. That that's the yeah. thing, right? For a lot of people out there, to them, when they think digital currency, the only thing they really think of is Bitcoin. So and as they come clear, in,
0: coins are just anything that's not Bitcoin. For anybody right. who's curious, what we keep talking about, so anything Ethereum, any other. And a, any other token that's not Bitcoin generally is called an altcoin.
1: Right. So as they come in, they start getting exposed to these other coins, and then they start playing with them. And then they start investing, and in then they start trading with them. And all of a sudden, uh, people look at, uh, look at uh, uh, Bitcoin, and they look at something else that's a little bit smaller, and they say, okay, l- let's, let's play around here. And then you start seeing this broadening of the rally. So uh, that brings you think
0: about that, that this time around, though specifically, I know you, you you're, part of your thesis is that this time around may be different because you know bigger money uh, institutional money but one of, one of the things that we've we 've really looked at or you 've looked at and and, um, and talked about is you know one of the limitations to big money coming into this stuff is custodianship and mm-hmm. You know, we're, but, but the altcoins, a lot of the altcoins, most of them are not going to have that kind of uh, infrastructure. So does that, I mean, just playing devil's advocate, does that then say, well, they may, they may just stick to whatever they can buy on, on Coinbase and, and, or, you know, on Bakkt?
1: Well, well, these coins, most of the altcoins are ERC-20 coins. So in right. terms of having the, the infrastructure as long as you can support ERC-20, you can support hundreds of coins that currently trade. And so if you look at uh, what BACT is doing, they're going to be supporting Bitcoin first, and then they're going to be supporting Ethereum. So if they support Ethereum, they will naturally support every other ERC-20 that's out there. And remember, companies like BACT are in the business of incentivizing trading, because they get paid for everything that 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 goes through their network so it would be odd to imagine that they're only going to limit their entire business model to just the trading of bitcoin it doesn't make any sense if you look at what they've done in the securities market they haven't just limited themselves to the trading of the s p 500 they trade everything Mm -hmm. so um i do think that liquidity will trickle down into the whole market and of course the ERC 20 coins I think will be the first to get the most amount of liquidity because it will be the easiest to support from a, from a back-end uh, technology standpoint. The other thing I want to mention is that another driver of the altcoins will be what I believe will be a proliferation of securitization products. So ETS, different types of futures. I, I see a world I, I've got to believe within the next 12 months we will see an, an ETF that will give us the ability to own 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 coins in one ETF that that, that trades or one type of security that trades. Maybe it's a coin put out by back and says, okay, you buy this coin and you've got the top 100 altcoins, right. uh, exposure to the top 100 altcoins.
0: Right, right. And then… Um you know, I know a lot of people bring, you talk about the ETF for Bitcoin and this has been sort of bounced back by the, uh, you know, or delayed by mm-hmm. the SEC several times. Do you, do you think, how, do you really think of that as a big deal compared to some of the other movements that you, you mentioned backed and I think there's ledger acts, things like that where that are allowing for institutional buyers to participate? Does an ETF really make much of a difference in your view?
1: I think, um, I think an ETF is important, but I think the SEC is becoming less important in that process. And I'll tell you why. Um, Several very large brokerage firms from Fidelity to E-Trade to TD Ameritrade have announced that they want to offer Bitcoin trading to their users. So I'm talking about a system where you can log in, click on a button on your Fidelity account, and you can start trading Bitcoin the way you would the S&P 500. Uh, once that comes out, let's assume it comes out this year, which they've talked about that they want to do it this year, but we'll see. Everything seems to run a little slower than people mm-hmm. think. But if that if that comes out this year and something like 15 to 20 million people can now trade Bitcoin directly from their brokerage accounts, to me, it makes an ETF a foregone conclusion because The SEC has no reason now to stand in the way of it. And that's what I think that they're waiting for, Buck. The SEC is not known for blazing a trail. Mm -hmm. The SEC is not known for moving ahead of the market. So if they can look and say, well, Fidelity's offering it. TD Ameritrade is offering it. Schwab is offering it. Our ass is covered if we approve an ETF. I think it's really a CYA problem with the SEC, they don't want to be the first to make this move. And let's say there's a problem with it and everybody blames the SEC.
0: You know, there is this uh, this product that, um, that, I, that I know of, uh, and maybe you could talk about this because, you know, in the context of an ETF and being able to buy Bitcoin easily, um, you know, I, I look at the, there's a grayscale Bitcoin trust, uh, GBTC, which is publicly traded. I mean, what, What's the difference? What am I missing there? I mean,
1: well, that's a closed end fund that has limited mm-hmm. liquidity and it, it can sometimes trade at a hundred percent premium.
0: Yeah. Okay. Price Got of it.
1: Bitcoin. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, uh, lots of things happening in the spaces you mentioned. And, and one of the things that I think that, uh, that you said that is very, it seems very clearly true, whether or not, um, uh, what, you know whether or not you believe there's going to be another bull market is there's a ton of of technology improvements and infrastructure and all these things that are going on and price main a lot more by the way uh, than back in 2017 when there was a you know when when prices were off the charts mm-hmm. so within that context what are you know say the the one or two things that are you most excited about in the space that gives you the greatest confidence that this is, you know, this is the, the new, uh, you know, the new dot-com era, I guess, after the, the rubbles fell, as you mentioned before, uh, offline, and, uh, you know, the rise of the Amazons and the Apples uh, in, in, in the, the crypto world.
1: I'll tell you why. It's because I'm finally seeing major corporations, real corporations, doing partnerships with crypto companies, not memorandums of understandings, not MOUs. MOUs are meaningless, but real uh, partnerships where they're actually using the technology. This is stuff I talked about a year ago, 18 Mm -hmm. and a half months ago. I said, look, real companies are going to start coming into this space. They're going to start partnering with some of these uh, companies and start using the technology. And it's happening. I'm seeing real businesses like Barclays put up their own money to back Certain uh, platforms uh, like, for, for instance, with, with trade finance, uh, BMW putting up their own money for um, uh, back-end logistics. So this is a, a huge shift uh, in, in, in the type of person that is getting involved in the marketplace. Uh, I'm seeing massive credit card processors get involved with tiny startups because they want to piggy bank, uh, piggyback what's going on and the markets that they're opening up uh, with, with their uh, with their applications. So this, to me, Buck, is is such a difference maker, right? Like if if we came into 2019 and none of these deals were happening, I would say I I would be on here and I would say, Buck, you know what? The cake just isn't baked yet, man. We just probably got to wait another year. But when I start seeing very large, very smart corporate players making strategic moves to align themselves to certain projects, you can't ignore that. That's just something you can't ignore. And so this is what has me incredibly excited for this next phase that I see taking place in crypto. You know, one of the
0: the things... uh you mentioned earlier, and you've mentioned in the past, which I agree with, generally speaking, is that, you know, some level of regulation is a good thing so that it becomes less of a manipulated market. So, it becomes something that, you know, larger big money uh, investors and institutional investors uh, uh, take an interest in because they don't want to be in something that's, uh, you know, that's that's not legit. Um, the ne- the There is a negative a little bit to that in that some of the opportunities some of the opportunities out there are you know starting are starting to get re- restricted in terms of uh american investors you know mm-hmm. one of the examples uh i can think of to me is one of one of probably one of the biggest things is binance which is you know the number one uh trading platform uh in the world mm-hmm. uh is now effectively you know saying us Investors, we'll see you later. We're going to build something, you know, sometime, and we're going to call it, you know, Binance US, and we're going to have a lot fewer tokens there. What concerns me as an investor in some of the various digital currencies at that point is, well, how does that affect my liquidity as a US investor? And I'm wondering how it is uh, affecting your uh, uh, your your portfolio.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things uh, around that, and uh, I can't advise people to do this, I can only report on what some people are doing to get around this geofencing, is they're using virtual private networks. Right. To the use of a virtual private network, they can get access to uh, any exchange in the world, so long as they're using a VPN that mimics a a country that this exchange is uh, uh, allowed to operate in. So as far as I know, Binance is not doing anything to prevent anybody from using a VPN. So that's just want to get that out there. Again, yeah,
0: although, I can't look, just just to interrupt there i mean that yeah. that in itself is a little tricky though, right? I mean, isn't it? Because then then you've got to deal with you know u s taxes and all that if you're dealing well, I, you
1: just, always have to deal with u s taxes no matter what, whether you're using a VPN or not.
0: So it wouldn't be illegal technically to use a virtual private client and virtual private network and, and use binance yeah.
1: So for you, for for me as an individual, would I be breaking any laws? Yeah, I, the, I don't I don't think so. But I'm not I'm not an attorney. Right. Finance uh, right. might be breaking some laws, sure. but uh, I don't think that I would be. Uh, but again, this is something everybody has to make their own decision. Yeah. But but the other side of this is is that Binance is putting together their own dex, which is a, a decentralized exchange, which will allow for peer to peer trading, and I think you'll see more of these types of decentralized exchanges, which I'm a big fan of. I, I hate the idea of centralized exchanges anyway. So um, there are some, some speed problems with decentralized exchanges, but they're they're getting ironed out. And I think within in the future, a lot of trading is going to move to peer-to-peer. But you're right. It's certainly a concern. Um, for now, I would say uh, the, the biggest solution that I have read about and again, I can't formally tell people to do this. Is to use a virtual private network.
0: The the, the other question, though, I think is just as a follow up on that. Tika is that okay? So say you use a VPN, but not everybody's going to do that. You know, mm-hmm. probably most people aren't going to do that. Then then there's an issues just in terms of liquidity, right? Or don't you think that's a problem anymore like no me- i do i do think it's a
1: problem but i also rely on the greed factor of the participants in this market right. that they will figure out a solution because there's too much money to be made for liquidity that once they come into the market somebody will find a way to bring that liquidity into the Got market
0: it. okay um so anyway so like you you know i i, I believe that bitcoin bull run is inevitable uh, what do you think of anything? What are you looking for that might trigger? Um, and I know you, you're saying already that we're kind of in a bull market already, but what triggers that sort of next level all-time high thing? Is there anything, or do you think this is something that's going to be more of a gradual rise, um, more organic than it was in 2017?
1: Well, there are several things uh, which I'm going to be talking about specifically. I don't really want to spill the beans on that here, but I have an event coming Great. up. Which yeah. I, I want to talk in more detail about a very specific event that I think will act as a massive catalyst. Right. Um, outside of that, uh, I think this whole idea of um, I call it an, this this kind of new narrative, right, among institutions, where before two years ago, three years ago, they looked at Bitcoin and and they said, "Oh my gosh, Bitcoin!" That that's for gun runners and pornographers where we, we we have no interest in bitcoin and now they've starting to see bitcoin as a way to eliminate this correlation risk in their portfolio so i think that narrative will gain more ground in fact i've been invited to a conference in san moritz with 500 top tier investors and i will be putting forward that research that i've, I've, I've drawn together to that audience and 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 really helping propagate that narrative because it is transformational if you manage a large pool of capital, what you can do with your overall volatility and how you can adjust it lower through just a tiny amount of Bitcoin is absolutely remarkable so um, I, I think it, that's more of a slow burn Buck, sure. but but as that gains speed, I mean can you just imagine? Just the amount of buying, if, if 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 pension funds say, okay, going forward, half of one percent of all our assets are going to be in digital currency. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, and, and part of part of understanding that for people is to understand one of the the great things about Bitcoin in particular is that this is a this is an asset with that is fixed to a certain number of Bitcoin that'll ever be. Uh, created. So, you know, we've never really had had that kind of monetary uh, thing before. I mean, to a certain extent, gold is that way, of course. But even, you know, gold, there's always more gold every year, a little bit more gold. This is a truly deflationary asset that really where, you know, you put more money in the pot, you know, each one of those Bitcoins is going to be worth a lot more. And I can't think of anything else that's out there like that. I agree. Um, I know, uh, you've got, uh, you know, the, the Palm Beach Confidential Newsletter. Tika. I just have to compliment you because I, you know, I have been a, uh, reader for a couple of years. It is one of the most comprehensive and thoughtful investment newsletters I've ever subscribed to. I mean, it is totally the real deal. And, uh, I appreciate that. And one, one of the things that, uh, people can't join any time. It opens and closes. And I know that it is going to be opening up and you're going to do a webinar coming up on that. But can you talk a little bit about the newsletter and and the event that's coming up?
1: Yeah, sure. So in, in the newsletter, what I do is I will typically find one idea each month and give you a complete breakdown on the idea. And what I try to do, I understand not everybody is a cryptocurrency enthusiast or a cryptocurrency investor and so what I try to do is write in a way that is easy to digest easy to understand not simplistic but but very easy for the layperson to get their to get their head around and to really understand the concept that that we're talking about and I have not opened up Uh, Palm Beach Confidential for any new members for for this whole year. This is the first time that I've I've done that. So, and the reason is, is I only open up Palm Beach Confidential to new members when there's an event that I think can have a massive impact on the broad market. So on September 18th at 8 p.m., I'm going to talk about one of these events. And the last time this event took place, you could literally take $500 and turn it into $5 million right? There's only a few times in, in the history of crypto where you have those types of windows of opportunity. And so one of those windows of opportunity is about to open. And so at this event, I'm, I'm going to explain what it is, why it works, and, and why it will absolutely happen. This particular event will absolutely happen. There, there's nothing that can stop the event from taking place. And so I'm going to share my five top uh, coins, one of which I'll give away for free, uh, during the webinar, um, that I think have that ability to go from five, five $500 literally into 5 million. So it's an exciting time. And I'm, I'm really, uh, c- kind of chomping at the bit to, to kind of get in front of everybody and talk about this research that I've discovered.
0: One last thing I want to point out is I get, you know, when we talk her like this, sometimes people get really skeptical. They're like, yeah, that sounds a little salesy, but that's not really kind of the usual thing that you're talking about. And I get it. Right. But the reality is this is a situation. This isn't, you know, there are real people out there. There are kids out there who've become multimillionaires by doing exactly this. And so it's real. That's why I'm interested. That's it's why it's real. It- I mean, in my
1: own investing, I've seen a thousand dollar investment go to as much as $1.6 million. Right. Okay. So it's real. I, I, The other thing I want to convey to everybody, I don't have to write newsletters anymore. I don't right. have to come on podcasts. I can sit on a beach all I want. Okay. So why do I do this? I do this because... Moving the needle on somebody's net worth, maybe not this audience, maybe, maybe my, my broader audience, it's incredibly gratifying, right? Helping people change their lives without putting their current lifestyle at risk, that's, I mean, if that's my one legacy in this life, could you ask for anything more about yeah. Really, oh, it's, it's incredibly gratifying to be able to do that. And we have this opportunity now, and, but this opportunity won't last forever. At some point, this will be a multi-trillion dollar asset class, and the ability to make gains like that just won't exist.
0: Tika. Want to buy Bitcoin with your IRA? Don't waste your time on expensive IRA custodians. A strategy called a QRP is as easy as writing a check. Find out how. Text four four two 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 and type QRP book. That's one word and get a free book that explains everything. Again, that's four four two 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 QRP book. One word. It's the easiest way to make Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies part of your retirement. As always, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, thanks again for being in Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you kinda understand why I still think this is something that people ought to be thinking about. If you're you know, if you don't have exposure, I mean, shoot, I mean, just a few a few hundred bucks even. What's what's the what's the downside, right? I mean, it could be an opportunity to make a lot of money. On the other hand, uh, if you lose it, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, skip a few I don't know, few a few cases of beer or something like that every month and and, and do this instead. Um, you know, listen, this week, um, you will be getting some emails from me, uh, again, promoting Tika's newsletter, which as I said, I have been a subscriber to for a couple of years. And I think it's a really great newsletter. Um, I will say, I mean, I don't follow everything that Tika says or advises, and I also have some differences of opinions, but I think it's a tremendous resource for information. And I think if you don't, you're not into this space yourself, um, you know, I think his, uh, recommendations could put you in a really good position in, in the event of a, you know, hockey stick, uh, or parabolic event or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but so I'm going to send you these emails, uh, from Tika. You're going to get them this week. You probably already got one, uh, by now that are urging you to sign up for his upcoming webinar. Watch the webinar. Okay. Now I will say this, that the emails you're going to get, they're very cheesy Right. They will provide good information, but their sales copy, they're selling you newsletters. Now, as you know, I don't generally like this stuff, um, but I do like Tika. I do like Tika Tawari. I know him. And so, you know, the reality is that the copy is typically written by people at Palm Beach, this company that, um, you know, it's a newsletter company. And so it's not really stuff that's coming from Tika per se. So, you know, Tika's not going to write the sales copy. But the point of all of what I'm trying to tell you is that try to look through the cheesy sales copy. Don't say, hey, Buck, why are you sending me this cheesy sales copy? Sign up for the webinar and watch it. I think it's worth it. Um, and if asymmetric risk investing in cryptocurrency sounds interesting to you, then you're definitely want, going to want to consider being part of that newsletter. Anyway, I'm telling you now so you don't email me again and tell me that the copy is cheesy. Uh, I know it is. Frankly, so does Tika. He doesn't write it, but he is one hell of an analyst and some and, and has made a lot of people a lot of, a lot of money. So uh, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.